The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Okay, open your Bibles, if you don't mind, with me back to the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be picking up there Mark chapter 4 here in just a little bit at least. Mark chapter 4. I really appreciated how things uh, worked out. I think the providence of God is involved in things like this, but I appreciated the things working out as they did. And that Cliff uh, got the opportunity to teach on Sunday all day long from the same chapter we are in and particularly from the same parable that we often refer to as the parable of the sower. Of course, Cliff pointed out that's how Jesus made reference to it. If you were like I was and just curious as to where that was, I went ahead and jotted it down. That's in Matthew 13, verse 18. That's when Jesus said it was the parable of the sower. Of course, we make reference to it in other ways, sometimes for illustration and for memory. The parable of the sower would be the way he referred to it, but there's certainly applications to be found in considering it as the parable of the seed or the parable of the soils. And if you try to say that three times back to back, it'll be difficult. I won't even try. But that's the three ways, the sower, the seed, or the soils. That's the three ways that we oftentimes look at it. And uh, I was kind of thinking through that today and to my mind, what that brings us to is three basic characters that are available. Now, I realize only one of them was a human in Jesus being the sower, or the Word of God ultimately being the sower, uh, but both the soils and the seed itself, in that case, basically take on uh, characteristics of, of active persons. And I mean by that, I think that's the word about this long personification. Does that sound about right? Kind of giving life or existence to something that is inanimate. And so they all kind of have their place in our understanding and our discovery of the context. And Cliff went through that very well on Sunday, both of those occasions. Now, backing up a bit and considering a few things I wanted to insert to finish that up, you might recall I kind of illustrated it with just a couple of three words with each one. When you look at those four types of soil, particularly that were available there, you first had in verse 4 what is referred to by the text as the wayside soil. And of course, Cliff gave illustration of that. That verse 4 connects for me across the page. I don't know where it would be, but if you look at my copy, it's across the page, nearly straight across to verse 15. So verse 4, Jesus clarifies and gives illustration to that or explanation to that, I should say, in verse 15. So that's the connection there. And that would be the wayside soil. Now the words that I put beside that, for memory's sake, for me at least, or the no reception, because that's the basis of what happened. The word was not received at all. The wayside soul was too hard, uh, too beaten down, too trod over, and it just wasn't received at all. And that's kind of what you see there. In the next place, the next one down, those stony soil that was listed there, that's in verse 5. The connection that we bring across the page for that comes in in verse 16. And so verse 5 connects to verse 16. And I kind of said that or spoke of that as having no root because that's what happened. The soil was so stony that even though there was a sprout that popped up, there was no root. And so because there was no root, there would ultimately be no fruit. But in between that sandwich of things, uh, there could be no life because ultimately anything or any plant that doesn't have a root or a, or a substantial root will not last, and that especially exists when the sun comes up. That plant dries out, and that's, of course, Jesus' way 
of explaining that as well. The next one down the page, referred to in verse 6 and 7, two verses for the, for the introduction of such, verses 6 and 7 refer to the thorny soil, or the thorns that are listed there. That connects across the page to verse 18. So Jesus gives explanation to verse 18. I make reference to that as no room. And that's because there's so many thorns there, so many weeds, if you will, there's no room for the seed to develop. And so ultimately he illustrates there that it would be choked out. And so that's that one. And then finally we get to what is referred to as the good soil. That's listed in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Mark. That goes across the page and connects directly to verse 20. And I illustrate that by saying there was no refusal. In that case, once the seed was dropped, it was spread, it was sown. Uh, as soon as it hit, there was no refusal. The seed was taken up, the plant sprouted, and ultimately the really a positive thing about that good soil is it brought forth fruit. And Jesus even made reference to the fact that it brought forth fruit, uh, fruit in multiples. He said some 30, some 60, some even 100 fold. And of course that's not really a measure there of, of the fruit that we're able to produce using His seed or His word. And not that 30 is any worse off than 100, but the fact that it would continue to do that. Now, I found some connection to this in a couple of different resources that basically said in Jesus' day, now we have higher, quote, yields today, but supposedly in Jesus' day, the projected yield for most of the common crops was about 10%. Okay, so you got about a tenfold, if you want to call it that, not 10%, but a tenfold yield that they expected. And so what Jesus says about good soil, he illustrates it being 30, 60, or 100 and so I would probably even call that great soil because it would do so much farther and go beyond what even expectation would have given to it. So if you look at chapter 4, as we've been doing that, and Cliff did on Sunday again, um, if you look at that, basically verses 1 to 8, you have what I would call the illustration, and that's what Jesus does. He gives the parable, the setting beside of, the parable A, the illustration, 1 to 8, verses 9 through 13. We haven't gotten to this, but we're about to. It's where we're going to focus. We have what I would call the conditions uh, because Jesus, in order for this to happen, there are conditions that have to be met in order for the seed to be prosperous, in order for, especially for the understanding of such a parable. There are some conditions there, verses 9 to 13. And then verses 14 through 20, we kind of bounce between the first two or the first and the last. That was the explanation. So the illustration 1 to 8, the conditions 9 to 13, and then 14 through 20, the explanation. So that's kind of where we're picking up. Now one thing Cliff did not touch on is this middle section, verses 9 to 13. So let's read that again. We're coming up right behind the good soil listed in verse 8. Verse 9 says this, And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you write in your Bibles and your margins, or if you like I am, you, you'll do anything if it'll help you remember later. Uh, but if you write in your Bibles, I would put out beside verse 9 an arrow or at least a reference back up to verse 3. So verse 9, he says, He who hath ears, let him hear. In verse 3, he opened up this parable, or at least this 
sermon series, this listing of parables that we have in this chapter. He opened that up in verse 3. I'll read the King James translation. Hearken, behold, there went forth a sower to sow. And we spent a lot of time a couple weeks ago in talking about the word hearken. Uh, could easily be translated. Some of the more modern translations, I think the New King James and several others, uh, put that word instead of hearken. It says listen. And the way that word really bore, bore itself out, and we talked about it, it came from a, a Greek word which sounds something like a kuo, and it is preceded by a prefix, huperkuo, which meant to underlisten. And it's actually connected, and I think maybe I gave this reference. It's listed in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27 and translated as the word obey. So there's a lot loaded into this first word, hearken, in verse 3. Jesus said, listen under me. Put yourself in position where you can hear and then obey. So whatever he says from verses 4 and forward... That's the major instruction that he gives. And so when we get down to verse 9 that we're kind of picking up in here, and he says again to read it, And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Well, he front-loaded it and said, Listen, put yourself under me, and obey. And now you have to hear, if you've got ears, let him hear. That is, allow yourself to actually hear. Now, when we think about hearing or listening, how do we sometimes divide that? Uh, I use the example we always do about our, uh, concerning our children. If you tell your child, don't run out in the street, and they run out in the street, what did they do? They, they may very well have heard you, but they did not listen. And that's, that's the most literal divide here of what Jesus is saying. Don't just passively hear what I'm saying, but take that into account and do something with it. In this case, be obedient to it. And so when he commands here in verse 3, that behold, the sower went forth to sow, the instruction is generally then simply, you take the seed, which is the Word of God, find out across the page, Luke's account reveals it very clearly, the seed is the Word of God, Luke 8 and verse 11, but when you tie that together, he's saying, be sure that you open your ears, open your heart, and then do as I say. Now, in talking about the conditions, if you will, there are several here listed, verses 9 and forward. The first condition is just that, open your ears. Be ready, be prepared in your hearts to hear. Now, look at the next verse, verse 10. And when he was alone, this is kind of an inserted note. I've got it bracketed in because it's kind of sort of the way it works out. And when he, that is Jesus, was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him the parable. And so they step in. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And I can assume some group or some at least individual in the group, says the twelve listed and they or others, somebody spoke up and said, hey, we got a question. We tried to hear, I'm putting this in my words, we tried to hear what you said, but we don't quite understand it. How do you know they would saying something like that? Look at verse 11. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know, K-N-O-W, know, 
the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all things are done in parables. So Jesus said, there'll be certain of you that hath ears to hear and you will hear. And to that group, you will also be able to know. Now, thankfully in this, Jesus doesn't leave them void and continue to ask questions because that's where the explanation is about to begin in verse 14. But look at verse 12 also. That, or in order that, seeing that you may see and not perceive. Hearing that you may hear and not understand. So that's kind of that contrast between hearing and listening right there. Or seeing and not really perceiving. What's the difference between seeing something and perceiving something? Very same instance. Understanding, Understanding is the connection word that comes up in the next phrase. You may, you may, for example, you may be driving down the road at 60 miles an hour and you may see something in what we might call a peripheral vision. But if you're questioned about that, say a mile down the road there's an accident and, and you happen to get stopped and a policeman runs up inside of your car and said, did you notice a truck going the opposite direction? Did you meet that truck that went by? You say, yeah, I know, there was a truck. What did it look like? Well, I did. it was his truck. Well, the, they caused this accident. See, we, you don't quite have the perception. You don't quite have the depth of understanding. And so there's a little separation between the two. So he says seeing. Now, the word seeing right here, the Greek word is something like blepo. And it's just the idea of having a, a seeing or a visual sight. That's, that's what we're describing. But when you get down to the word perceive, that word, just as Rick said it, he's going to tie in in the language here, that word means to see it, but to understand, or I would probably spend it to say to comprehend it. When someone says, what exactly did you see? And sometimes in our explanation of what we saw, we may give an interpretation. Well, I saw this, and to me this means that. And that's what he begins to tell them to do. In addition to that, he said also hearing that you may hear, some, some in this case would be, and not understand, lest at any time you should be converted and their sins be forgiven. Now the word converted right here, as we often illustrate, it means it's similar to the word repentance, same root meaning at least, to turn away from but to turn toward. So Jesus says if you've got ears to hear, here, right behind this parable where he told them up front to listen closely and obey. And then here he says, there are going to be some who'll get this. There are going to be others who won't. There are going to be some who listen to this. There'll be others who actually understand what they're listening to. And so then that explanation, verses 14 through 20. Now, a few uh, words to define as we go from 14 to 20. First of all, he said, verse 14, the sower is he that soweth the word of God. So what does that mean? The seed is, we referenced this a moment ago, is the word of God. That's Luke 8, 11's direct parallel there. Verse 15, and these are those by the wayside where the word is sown, but they have 
But when they had heard immediately, or Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Why could Satan do that? We've all witnessed it. We may have experienced it. But why could Satan possibly, just as soon as the seed, the word is spread or given over to them, why can he snatch it away so quickly? We could list a number of reasons that come up. The soil's not prepared is, is kind of the key that goes back across the page there. It's, it's wayside soil in this case. It's not been prepared. It, it, the uh, soil itself has not been turned, as we might say it. It's not been cultivated. The idea here is, and we don't see this here. This is where I want to flip and flop just a little bit. Look in Matthew's account. We've got Luke's account. As I measured out, Luke's account is here, chapter uh, four, basically verses one, you always ought to type one to 20. The whole parable and no explanation. Luke's account of that, we've already mentioned Luke 8, is part of that, but that goes from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And then Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. So let's look at Matthew 13. Let's look at Matthew's interpretation. Go to Matthew 13, and the most direct parallel to this particular verse comes in in verse number, um, let me see, Matthew 13, verse 19. Matthew 13, 19. Look at what Matthew says. Verse 18, we'll back up to that. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So Jesus is making explanation here. And when anyone heareth the word, the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then the wicked one, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart, that is he which received the seed by the wayside. So what exactly does Matthew explain to us that Mark does not reveal? The wayside soil, the understanding is carried away or taken away so quickly because it was not understood. So that's where this, if you will, and you go back to Mark's account, that's where I think verses 9 through 13 or 9 through 12 at least are so extremely important to this because before Jesus took time to even explain the parable, he reminded his disciples and those that were with him that are listed there, the they in that. He reminded them that you've got to have an ear to hear. You've got to have eyes to see. And the two together have to bring you to a perception or an understanding. So Jesus immediately front loads this by saying, look, let me tell you in order the way I described it. I mentioned first all a wayside soil and the reason the wayside soil had no fruit at all, did not produce even a sprout of a plant in some senses, is because they did not understand it. Now, whose fault is that? Is that the fault of the sower? You can do this. Is that a problem with a seed? You can do this. That's a problem in the soils of which it was sown. And so Jesus lets them know, don't have that problem. 
don't be in that position. So the parallel here to verse 15 is Matthew 13, 19, in which he said they lacked understanding. Verse 16. And these are also likewise those which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And, verse 17, have no root in themselves, so endure before time, but afterward when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. A few words stand out right here. First of all, the word immediately. Immediately we talked about in the very beginning, the introduction, the introduction, and then the introduction, which is 27 weeks ago, believe it or not. We talked about how many times the word immediately is found approximately 43 times. I say approximately, that'll give us a specific number. Approximately, that doesn't fit, 43 times. Uh, most, most resources will give you about 41. I would say 43 because the word anon is included in that. And anon within itself, that's a word we certainly don't use very often, means to receive, immediately rejoice. And so 43-ish times. This is one of the times, and he makes an important point here in the fact that this soil, there's no argument, this soil, first of all, did receive, the stony soil did receive it. And they actually received it immediately with gladness. Now, if you look at the word received right here, the word received, there are a couple of Greek words that oftentimes back up the English words that are translated as received here is the way we often read it. Uh, two of them that mainly exist between the two are the Greek word lumbano and also the word decomai. Now, that's what I'm going to say here. That's Mumford Greek, not Grecian Greek, to be clear. Lumbano and decomai. Lumbano means to snatch. Decomai needs to, means to receive carefully. So you may snatch something that you just, you just grab at it. Anybody when they were little uh, maybe had that neighbor that had those apple trees next door? Some people talk about crab apples. I, I never was impressed. I needed too many and they made you too sick. But anybody ever had that neighbor that had the apple tree and as a kid you slipped around over there? What would you do if you did it? You snatch it and run off, right? Because there's always that person that in the, in the reality of things, they're happy for you to get them. But they, they love to tell those kids, get out of my yard. You snatch those up. But what happened on a birthday or maybe Christmas or whatever your family traditions were, when you received that gift that you had been asking for all year long, instead of Labano or snatching that, receiving it by just holding it, grabbing it, you might take that into your care. I remember when I was younger, especially mama would always kind of pick because uh, my brother and sister, they get Christmas gifts and two hours later, I can't find my so-and-so and we're digging behind the couches and under the beds and they lost their little piece to this or that. I never did because every gift I got for about two weeks, I kept it right with me, just held on to it. I wouldn't let it go. Received it. Decomai, cautiously, carefully, receiving that. Now, the reason that's important here is we have to understand that this person in the context, the one that was stony in this case, 
who immediately was snatched away, immediately was taken. Verse 16 says they did receive it, yes. But the Greek word is they just snatched it up. They were happy to get it. But because they had not ultimately, we'll see in the page in a few verses in a moment on the same page, they did not receive it with care. It's easily taken. Therefore, it's received with, what's the opposite of care? Got the same root word, careless. So you can receive something with care, or you can receive it carelessly, is the word we might say. But they had received it, and they did receive it with gladness. Because there was no root when affliction, King James 17, and persecution arises, immediately they are also offended. The Greek word here means to stumble because of a snare. They stumbled into their own trap. They thought, some would perceive this, and we try to be careful when we're trying to work with people. I know that we do this as Bible students because we understand it now, I hope. But when we teach someone, we try to be careful, especially if it's someone that's been on, on hard times for a while. Maybe their lifestyle has caused them to fall into these pits and these ditches. And we get with them and we're trying to teach them. We show them the Word of God. Maybe they see it. They say, can see hope. They can see a, a light in their life. They can see the truth. We have to be cautious to let them know that if they obey this, if they are converted, preceding verse, if they're converted, life may not be easy. Now certain things that if lifestyle changes and we turn toward God, then things do sometimes get easier because situations and the consequences of some sins may, may in some cases be taken away. But does that prevent persecution? Does that prevent affliction? Simply being converted? No. So these people who are listed here illustrated by the stony soul and ultimately the thorny soul that we're going to get to, both will fall in the same category. When things got hard, they fell away. They stumbled. The phrase we use sometimes is when the going gets tough, what happens? The tough get going. What does that imply? Those that ain't tough enough don't go at all. They may back up. Look at verse 18. The thorny soil, verse 18. And these are they which fell among, uh, or sown among the thorns, such as hear the word of God, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and lust, other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Cliff covered this verse in quite a bit of time. He spent a lot of time on it. I remember Sunday afternoon. The idea is there that that deception is that they're deluded. What does it mean to, we'll use the root of that, what does it mean to dilute something? I mean, yeah, it, it will ultimately weaken it. I don't, know, I don't know what people think about this. I know there's opinions. I don't touch any of it, but if someone drinks coffee, there's a certain group of people, a large group, that say, hey, if you put anything in it, and take that black coffee and you, it's, they say it's not any good. They would call it diluted. There are other times when you want to dilute things. You ever get a sore in your mouth and the doctor says, hey, put a little salt in water? And you ever not done that just properly? Or like I am, he said, teaspoon, you grab the tablespoon. And he said, three cups and you, you just took a swig. 
He says they're, they're delusional. They're deluded. They're distracted ultimately by that word. And then verse 20, the good soul. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Complete opposite of the others in some senses. Such as hear the word. Others have done that. And receive, there's that word again, it and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. You say, well, is there a difference? We've got received in verse 16. We've got received in verse 20. Two different words. Lombano, the first case, 16, they snatched it. They grabbed it quickly. They were excited to get it, but they still just, they snatched it up. They didn't quite understand. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared for ultimately uh, the uh, offenses to come about. Verse 17 explained. But the word right here is the decomai. That's careful receiving. And the person here that was the good soil, when they received the word of God, they did it very carefully. Now, have you ever studied with someone when, I don't know what number of studies we might put with this. I think sometimes we think there ought to be success after two or three or whatever. That's not always the case and probably shouldn't be. Have you ever studied with someone and you've gotten to a point where because you, you've already been a student in the Bible, you look at them and you think to yourself, hopefully you won't verbalize it, but you think to yourself, you know what, they ought to get it by now. Or you might even ask yourself, how is it that they are missing it right now? And sometimes you can get frustrated. I don't know what your studies have been like, but I can remember this specific one. Um, I was with Cliff. This has been 14, 15 years ago even. But we went by a lady's house, and I remember as we're pulling up, Cliff would say, okay, this is so-and-so. This person, you know, he would kind of give me a, a front-load review of who they were and what they were going through, whatever, before we knock, knock on the door, whatever. And I remember him saying about one lady, he said, I've been studying with her for eight years. How in the world? In eight years? You would think he and her could have sat down and just went from Genesis to Revelation, just covered everything. Well, I'm sure there wasn't that many occasions in the eight-year span, but how? On the one hand, we say about that, well, that's, that's horrible, that's terrible. But guess what may happen, I said may, if a person was that cautious? Now, you know, we've got eternity to, to face. They do too. They, they may not have any more time to, to, to wait. But you ever studied with someone for a longer period than you expected or that you desired and then they finally saw it and became obedient and now they themselves are Bible students. And, and, and sometimes they'll ask questions that you, you scratch your head and say, man, why in the world are they concerned about that? Because they are concerned. The good soul right here received it. Now that's the root word, decamai, but here's something to add to it and we're going to close. Such as is the case with the English language, we oftentimes have prefixes or suffixes, that's my term, not theirs, that, that load into words that change the meaning a bit or enhance the meaning a bit. The word received right here, English translation or receive, they hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. 
is the root word decamai, so cautious, carefully received, but it is front-loaded with a prefix that implies that they really drew it in. Para is the way I say it. Para decamai. Para meaning to draw in. It literally means to put our arms around something. And that's the difference. When a person, a convert, ultimately we would pray, who is in the position of being in any of these categories, any of these types of soil, and someone would look at this and say, well, I'm a Christian, so obviously I was not the no root, I was not the no room, I was, I was in that case, or the first one should have been reception, I'm, I'm none of those, I wasn't wayside, or I'm not, or I'm not stony, or I'm not... Th really good soil, really good soil, has completely reached to embrace the Word. And that sometimes is a process. That's something that can take time, and it should. Christians should always be doing what? Growing. And so the, the, the character, if you want to call it, that's given, the personification of this soil is, not that it just, it just sprouted, but it continued to produce fruit. It didn't stop. And that's the position to which you and I should be desirous. Now, Lord willing, on next week, we're going to pick up in verse 21. I want to encourage you, verses 21, I'm, I'm categorizing this two different ways. Verses 21, in my mind, through about verse 34, actually. 21 to 34 make up a, a larger unit that carries a couple more parables that are listed, by the way, but that ties back tremendously to what's already been seen here in these verses. By that, the parable of the sower. Because what he's going to have to say about the seed later, the mustard seed ultimately, and other things that he has to say about here about the kingdom of God is all conditional upon the fact that you and I take hold of that seed and we continue ourselves to sow it. And so when he talks about the lamp, particularly in verse 21, uh, be really considering that lamp and what that lamp looks like. You're familiar with Matthew's account. We're going to look specifically at Mark's and hopefully show some contrast and some differences between uh, Matthew's account and other. Any questions or comments? I didn't slow down much, so you didn't say much. All right. And only like four or so lessons, including Cliff's, we got through the parable of the sower. Thank you.